Welcome back, listeners, to the podcast with two of your favourite omnivorous, pondering book boys. It's We've George. got a couple of guests in today. <laughs> no, no, George. That that was self-referential. I am Stephen Hussey. He is George Taylor. And, uh, well, we're going to look at relationships today. Something of a busman's holiday for a man like <laughs> me, George. I talk about it in my day job. But, but George said, hey, I want to really talk about matters of the heart. So what are we talking about today, George? Relationships, you just said. Yeah, but be, be specific. Oh, um, relationships in books. Relationships in books. Uh, we're looking at sort of putting a little little forensic microscope on some relationships we that are interesting, unique, quirky. I phoned you up, Steve. I phoned you up in the week and I said, this is a topic I just, I have to get my teeth into. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to explode if I can't get this content out there. I just thought, let's share this with the world. Yeah, and, and I like to act on inspiration so george says it we're doing it so um how did you how did you think about this george did you look for like relationships that were particularly a model or did you look at ones that are just that's really interesting and different bit of a grab bag i think um i kind of consulted my infamous spreadsheet of things i've read and um i find that going back through the stuff i've read looking at it for different content or reasons or you know my favorite novels by foreign authors or something I'll, I'll look at it with a different eye so coming at it with this topic in mind made me sort of consider books that I hadn't considered through this framework before like books I might have just pigeonholed as historical fiction actually well this is more of a kind of relationship novel so it gave me a a new eye to cast back against things I have read and that sort of freshened some of these titles up and uh yeah, happy to happy to share them with the listeners because it's uh, I don't know it's hard to get out there and amongst it at the moment, isn't it, Steve? And sort of build relationships. So maybe solace in the written word is the best place for it for now. That's true. Uh, if if not to live one's life vicariously multiple times, what else are books for? Um, so yes, well, I've got a grab bag as well. Why don't you uh, give me your first one and we'll see see where we stand. Shall I keep it light? Shall I make it a bit heavy to start with? What do you think? Most of them are heavy. I was a bit actually going through it. One of my friends had texted me and said, oh, I'm, you know, I need some light reading because things are getting a bit raw with my PhD. I need to just soften things up a bit. And I, I was really, turns out light isn't really my forte. No, it, if you get deep into literary fiction, it's very rarely frothy stuff. <laughs> quite, quite heavy. Um, yeah. Yeah, go on, hit us with a gut punch. You want a gut punch? I'm going to go straight in then, Steve, with the novel Preparation for the Next Life by Atticus Lish. I think it's a novel I've championed on here before, not necessarily for its relationship strand, but that is the, the bulk of the book. It is about a, a couple in New York, I guess in the early noughties, a soldier returning from Iraq kind of damaged by what he's seen an American soldier and a Chinese I think she's a Uyghur Muslim um, we've had yeah. quite a lot of press in the last few years for unfortunate reasons she's from that community and is sort of living the illegal immigrant life in New York and living in the kind of underbelly and they're both very damaged or put upon people and they 
they come together and build a relationship and it's incredibly powerful beautifully written sort of page turning in its emotional intensity and i thought the characters were both drawn really well her particularly is a sort of type or a trope or character kind of character that i've not really read before the sort of chinese female in western literature isn't super well represented and is often type kind of typecast in certain ways she seemed very distinct um and the sort of damaged american soldier is quite a trope that crops up a lot and i felt like he had his own very distinct voice and the way they united together in the face of a lot of misery was very powerful it's yeah it's one of my favorite books of the last well, of the last 20 years i would say i think it's fantastic it didn't have the success it should have had but yeah that theirs is one of the great relationships in recent literature i think and i feel like more people should read it i love it preparation for the next life yeah i really concur with that i read it a while after you recommended it but when i finally got round it's it's now sits as a as a place of you know best novels of the last decade for me mm, i've forgotten that you'd read it so that's really good to hear yeah awesome. yeah no i i loved it and and that is the the novel really rests on you sort of rooting for those characters and and like you say like it could easily have gone to the the trope of like a broken man uh mm. you know and the sort of you know trying to find savior in this woman but actually it's it's very interesting the different interplay between them of like strong and different strengths and weaknesses they both have and different ways they rely on each other and it's kind of um yeah i think i think those relationships are always really interesting to me where people two people depend on each other for different things but it's um yeah it's very like emotionally affecting and shattering kind of yeah and it, and it, I, it plays very believably yeah, it really does. Hopefully I'm not treading on another recommendation you may have, but a book that has carried a lot of favour for relationships and about relationships and particularly sort of damaged relationships in the last few years is that A Little Life, um, mm -hmm. if you've read that. And I feel like this is, if anything, a more literary, and I don't mean that as an insult to A Little Life, but this is a, I feel like a better written version of a similar, that kind of novel, you know, people living in this case again in Manhattan, up against it and or and or have been through a lot of difficulty and trauma that they're trying to work through with the ways they build relationships so i'm sure some of our listeners will have read a little life because that had a kind of a great lot of success a couple of years ago if you enjoyed that i'm confident you would enjoy this as well yeah i haven't read that one but it's cropped up on a few lists i've seen lately so i might give that a go is it is it british a little life no she's american right i think yeah i'll check it out um well one I have here is actually a play, George. Um, and that's literature, you know, I'm not cheating there. That's, that, that counts. Um, I always think, you know, if, if drama, you know, in dramatic plays, if they do relationships really well, I always love these ones where they focus on like other characters exposing, like cracking open and exposing the flaws in a mm. relationship. And sort of the great play for that is uh edward albies who's afraid of virginia wolf mm. and uh you have uh george and martha who are the older couple who george is a professor at a university uh and his wife well she's played in the movie by elizabeth taylor so it's hard not to think of her as elizabeth taylor but martha is this brash you know she loves drinking she loves socializing she's 
she's smart and witty, but she's more, you know, yeah, more like of a socialite than George. And, you know, plays as like George is a bit put upon early on in the play. And then you have like this younger couple who are, Nick is this aspiring young gun at the university who comes over for drinks after a party with his wife, Honey, who's sort of a bimbo. And it's sort of, um, you know, this this sort of two couples sort of falling apart over an evening of getting more and more drunk and, you know, interplay sexual tension between the different couples and lies being exposed. But it's kind of the George and Martha one, there's kind of all this symbolism and metaphor of like, they're named after George and Martha Washington, the founding of couple of America. And, you know, but, but it's like, you know, different, they've told different big lies to each other. And you think that maybe Martha just dominates George, but then later it's shown that George has a lot of power over her in a certain way. And she's very much, it's kind of the whole play is about the, maybe some of the lies that sustain us and, a certainly a, a lie that sort of keeps this couple going but it's uh yeah it's just kind of one of the great dramatic couple plays to read have you seen it staged or have you just read the script uh seen and watched film because we did it in uh english literature at school ah okay have you have you ever read it i haven't no it's been on my radar i probably should i school's literature suggestions seem to be Elizabeth Taylor because we did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, so, yeah. yeah, it's one of those like 20th century playwrights, you know, very like at the time of, I guess, Arthur Miller and those sort of really good early 20th century playwrights. Nice. Well, that's, it's always easy to read as well, right? You can blast through a play yeah. quicker than it takes to sit through it. So that, that'll be one I'll dip into, for sure. Um, wonderful. Let me make it light. Well, I say, is it light? I think it is light. It is light because it's all, I would say it's sort of children's young adult fiction. So okay. I'm going to say, Steve, but... Edward, Edward and Bella, Twilight. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know, it's not far off. I was going to say that um, Philip Pullman's Northern Lights trilogy, have you read? I, I'm not, I haven't read them. Well, they're very good. And the relationship between the the young girl and the boy that she meets in the second novel, I found very powerful and very affecting. I read it when I was, well, I read the three of them when I was about 18 or 19, so kind of older than the target age or the age you could have been when you read them. And I found that he just captured uh, relationships as a teenager, because Lord knows that wasn't something I particularly indulged in, Steve, but just the, the kind of emotional resonance of how different people affect you when you're young he captures very very well and then when they transition into that being a bit more like go through puberty or being a bit more self-aware and older um it's very powerfully done i found it very affecting and the way their relationship pans out at the end of the trilogy really resonated with me and it's mapped onto the i suppose the adam and eve story in some ways so there is an element of when you see you know sort of realise each other in your nakedness, as it were, kind of thing. It affects how you perceive each other. But the way that those two characters, Will and Lyra, are drawn, I think is fantastic. It's one of the best... It's, it's better drawn than any relationship in the Harry Potter series, really, which I think is also great if you want sort of young adult fiction. But um, re really powerful and mapped into a fantasy world that's super believable. But it's like this human teenage anxiety and angst and connection and relationship and earnest innocence i suppose 
built into that world. It's done very, very well. So I would recommend anyone uh, to read the Philip Pullman Northern Lights trilogy for sure. Yeah, well, I, I, um, I'm going to stick that one on because I want something. I was thinking the other day, I want something like, you know, I've been reading a lot of like dense literature. Uh, I just finished mm. that Master and Margarita. Um, yeah. But uh, I do feel like I need something sprinkled in there as like a just very es- not escapist, but um, very, very enjoyable sort of page turning adventure. But that relationship strand kind of comes into it from the second novel of the trilogy onwards. Mm. Um, yeah. Very enjoyable. Um, question: Do you think you can write a young adult series without a love story? Yeah. Hunger How Games, broad. Hunger Games, Twilight, Harry Potter. Well, I would say you can't get them turned into a big Hollywood blockbuster franchise right. without that. Maybe, right, but yeah. there, there must be young adult. Yeah. I don't know what young adult even counts as. Was it like 13, 12, 13 onwards? Um, there definitely must be written, but yeah, if you want a blockbuster, you need to get a sort of Lawrence figure in there, don't you? You know, she's selling her short if she's just shooting people with the bow and arrow. <laughs> Good point. Um, well, I got one that's um, quite more uh, well, not not on the nose, but um, it's it's kind of got its a clean moral if you like um okay. and it's the uh it's in the title of the novel george that you have read uh stefan zweig beware of pity oh lovely um, yeah a, a, a kind of um i mean it's it's a beautifully written book zweig's prose is just so crisp and uh evocative and you know it's really beautiful it's like austrian writer i want to say is he Nineteenth uh, century, late nineteenth or early. So he's writing early in nineteen thirty six. He was, the, oh. I think, nineteen thirty six. He was the biggest selling author in the world. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, and and it's a uh, you know it's a book about a sort of young cavalry lieutenant, and it's kind of telling the story of this. Uh, you know, he's an officer. He's young. He's idealistic, and then he gets an invitation to this home of like a very rich family, and he kind of gets into lots of trouble there because he kind of he kind of starts to feel a lot of sympathy and and really sorry for one of the daughters who's called Edith and she's like disabled but he starts you know he starts feeling bad for her and then ends up projecting that like she falls in love with him and he sort of i don't know not i don't know if mistakes his don't know if it's mistakes his sympathy for love, but sort of becomes entangled in a way that he can't get out of. And, you know, she has these kind of mood swings and is kind of quite spoiled and all these things. And it's kind of the whole the whole novel, a lot of it really is saying, basically, I mean, I've got a little passage from it where it sort of does telegraph, uh, you know, what it's about. But it says, um, there are two kinds of pity one, the weak-minded, sentimental sort is really just the heart's impatience to rid itself as quickly as possible of the painful experience of being moved by another person's suffering. It is not a case of real sympathy, of feeling with the sufferer, but a way of defending yourself against the sufferer's pain. The other kind of sympathy, the only one that counts, is unsentimental but creative. It knows its own mind and is determined to stand by the sufferer, patiently suffering too to the last of its strength and even beyond. 
Only when you go all the way to the end, the bitter end, only when you have that patience can you really help people. Only if you are ready to sacrifice yourself, only then. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of looking at the, the moral and ethical consequences of kind of a certain kind of weakness, I guess. And um, in some ways, the character is sort of a weakness of will and... Um, yeah, I guess it's I guess it's it's telegraphed there. There's different kinds of pity, and you have to be careful of what you're trying to be a savior. He uh, he really like ratchets up the tension as well, doesn't he? In a way that it's not necessarily a novel about tension or drama of the sort of action sense, but you know, the scene in a ballroom takes on all this intensity and power because of the inner monologue and the kind of ticking driven uh sort of processes that the main characters are going through and their sort of inner monologue stirs them along and spurns the action on it's very like fast moving novel for a novel that could get really bogged down in a sort of i don't know um yeah like mid 19th century slow paced affair it's a real like it's 500 page page turn that you fly through it and for a novel to be driven by yeah, sort of pity and relationships or the rightness or wrongness of relationships and be a page turner, I think is quite an achievement. Yeah, yeah. Um, his prose is like, you know, it flows like water. It's one of them ones that just seems so, like Fitzgerald or something, it seems so beautifully laid on the page. And that that's in translation is, it, you know, to read it in the, I guess, German would be even more engaging. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. Beware of pity. Lovely. Um, Steve, I'm going to plump four. The one I said that when I was consulting my charts, I'd previously seen through the lens of historical fiction. It's the novel Possession by A.S. Byatt. Have you read that? Oh, you, you have mentioned this and I haven't, haven't got around like to buy it. Like a broken record. Um, one that... Booker Prize in the late 80s, maybe 89, not sure. Uh, can't remember the names of the characters, can't remember the specifics too much because it's a while ago that I read it, but it's a fantastic, fantastic novel uh, about two academics who work in like, Victorian romantic poetry who find uh, some information in a poet in the work of a poet that they're investigating or kind of researching, they find something in the archives that hasn't been discovered before that leads to an investigation into his romantic life. And those two characters kind of build their relationship through the literature that they're working on. Um, but it's a sort of mystery page turner as much as it's a romantic novel and the, all the poetry in it and the poet that they're investigating is all a creation of the author and she writes all the poetry for them herself so it's a very romantic beautiful book it's about who well a theme would be what we own what we possess in the relationships that we engage in or the work that we do and what relationships we build through that there's there's so much in it it's, it's super rich really beautiful kind of takes on a lot of the yeah the victorian classic but um with a kind of modern energy to it as well really beautiful really gripping didn't think i would love it and i really did and i think anyone looking for a romantic novel will have an absolute whale of a time with possession um well you've sold me again so i will i will add it to the extended list um how many pages are we talking 500 it's it's a it's chunky okay That's in right. a good way in a good way um 
Okay. Well, I'm. I'll go. I'll go to an obvious one then. Maybe the obvious one of uh, the Great Gatsby. Um, I think it is kind of one of the, you know, great sort of tragic love stories. That's not a spoiler. It <laughs> hopefully I can't spoil a uh, hundred-year-old novel. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think um, and the Great Gatsby is almost novella length because it's quite short. So it's quite. Whose uh, relationship are you talking about? Well, the Great Gatsby? I think you know. There's a lot of entangled relationships in it, but I think you know the the central one with Ga- the central one with Gatsby and Daisy. Uh, Gatsby, you know, a sort of someone who has come up from shady background and says he's an Oxford man, and he uh, grew up without money and poor, and he suddenly is ho- hosting these elaborate, beautiful parties uh, in West Egg uh, in New York, and. Uh, he's a very mysterious figure, but obviously once you get to know him in the novel, you see he's sort of this deeply uh, sort of passionate or fixated on Daisy as a sort of prize or a kind of um, hope for something he never had when he was young and something he deeply aspired to have. Um, and so he's, you know, she she was a former lover of his and then drifted away and she is from a world of privilege that he wasn't and she ends up in a relationship with the equally privileged Tom Buchanan who's like a bit of a brute he's a bit of a private school sort of bully and you know but she does sort of love Tom in a complicated way even though he's quite abusive and then you know essentially the I guess I guess the Gatsby the crux of it comes down to that he is he has turned Daisy into a fictional creation somewhat in his head that, that she isn't really the more you get to know her in the novel where she, she is still quite, you know, she's in, she's in love with Gatsby, but she's also very much doesn't want anything that could threaten her world of privilege. Um, she is somewhat uh, fickle, I guess. And, you know, I think this, the Nick character, the narrator, has this line about how, you know, they all retreated into their world of privilege and sort of run away when there's trouble. And, yeah, essentially, it's kind of Gatsby's doomed quest to recreate something that used to exist. It kind of shows the folly of trying to hold on to the past and the dangers of sort of idealization, I guess, and trying to make a relationship represent something something else something it isn't rather than is that is that Fitzgerald or Matt Hussey because <laughs> I'm getting a bit <laughs> not not that you know there's more to Gatsby than just a relationship story but but yeah as as one of uh you know the, a lot of big theme of the novel is the sort of the folly of chasing these sort of illusory yeah. dreams I guess um yeah, yeah. It's, it's really powerful it's like one of the archetype American relationship relationships and relationships with america as well at the same time as well all happens in that quite short book yeah and i guess i guess there's you can take it how you want as whether fitzgerald is ultimately like he had big ambitions for that novel and i guess it's whether it is some deep commentary on the folly of the american dream or you know what he's trying to say about the whole ideal yeah yeah it's what it's a must it's a must read for 
for this topic for sure. It's a yeah. nice read, full stop. Well, Steve, I'm going to come right back at you then with what I and probably you would consider the British equivalent of The Great Gatsby, and that, that would be Evelyn Moore's Brideshead Revisited. Oh, I, I now we've, we've reached that point. They snap on the list because I had that one as well. Perfect. Well, we're just we're just in sync. It's it's either exciting or boring for the listener. I'm not quite sure, but <laughs> um, the relationship or relationships again, much like in The Great Gatsby and Brideshead Revisited, particularly the relationship that is uh, very powerfully drawn, but also a lot is kept back between um, Charles and Sebastian is. It's fantastic, and it, the way it builds during their kind of youth in Oxford, it's very evocative, beautiful, sort of summery, sunny romance of a friendship as much as anything else that's hinted at and suggested at and clearly there, but not necessarily stated. And there's a lot in the television show that maybe points to things that the novel doesn't as well. And the television show is also magnificent. But then also the relationship between Charles and Julia is really powerfully drawn and the, all the, the relationship between worlds that you've entered that you wouldn't have otherwise had access to and how different people give you those things it's just a beautifully drawn novel beautifully written the prose is magnificent the settings and scenes is sort of powerful tragic it's got everything um yeah and particularly those first you know the first third of the book uh i too was in arcadia section is yeah is phenomenal um, yeah highly recommended and i like um you know, there is that interplay as well. Obviously, like Evelyn Waugh's novels have a lot about class and stuff in them. And there's, you know, Sebastian in some ways represents something Charles would like, right? Like Sebastian's from a very yeah. old aristocratic, rich Catholic family. And there's, but he's also a lot weaker than Charles in a lot of ways. And it's it's kind of that strange sort of conflict between like, Sebastian's clearly in the more powerful societal position, but he's also like, very uh, vulnerable and kind of in certain ways quite weak yeah and it's i suppose because of the setting and the context of the sort of two men in a relationship at the time it was that's the way it's written has to hide so many things about the dynamics of that relationship as much as the they do for themselves between others so there's all these extra dynamics you know that novel wouldn't happen in the same way if it was set now so the context is really important to it um, yeah, it's, powerful. it's a really powerful book. His, his best novel, I suppose. Um, okay, George. Well, I'm, I'm going to go highly contemporary um, because, you know... Knew it bloody was. <laughs> this novel's been written and talked about a lot. It, you know, um, I, it was very enjoyable read. I had, you know, different things I would critique about it, but... It would be Sally Rooney's Normal People. And, you know, the, it kind of the whole thing is a relationship. That's the entire crux of the novel. It goes through, you know, skips like several months each time, maybe six months each uh, chapter. And you kind of just see another snapshot of where uh, two characters, Connor and Marianne's relationship is in the novel. And it's, I mean, it's, you can see why the book's very successful because it's it's highly readable the characters are well drawn and it's a very it's a very very believable contemporary uh sort of will they won't they romance and you know in in a lot of ways there's yeah there's just a lot of contemporary relationship struggles in them i guess where th there's lots of like 
or maybe she feels a bit embarrassed about him at first because she's clearly a bit more educated and his mum's like a cleaner at their house and there's kind of like a bit of a class interplay between them. But then they go to university and it's like she's more into him later on and he's the one sort of not wanting a commitment with her, not wanting a relationship. And then it kind of turns back and forth several times. And there was just something very believable if anyone's ever been in something that feels like it can never quite manage to to get running even though there's like strong chemistry and there's something there like which is kind of love between them but it's almost like circumstances and their own sometimes their own stubbornness sort of thwart uh, a would-be romance and it's uh i haven't seen the tv show uh i hear the tv show is good but um yeah, it's kind of a novel you could read in a couple of, you know, a couple of days really and get through it um, pretty easily. Uh, and it has a very sort of, there's a strange thing now. There's like several Irish writers who have this very simple prose style writing about contemporary relationships. I don't know if there's some some theme going around in Dublin or something, but uh, Sally Rooney is definitely the best known and most sort of acclaimed of them. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, worth a, it's worth a read if you want sort of like, this is probably what, contemporary relationships in 2021 look like for young people very good i've not read it it's, it's on my radar of course um i will i will get to it for sure um i'm gonna go with something that's probably the opposite of that probably the darkest of all the novels i have on here um you know keep it keep it light it's the novel alone in berlin by hans Fallada, uh, which i read a couple of years ago and wasn't sure what to expect and it's sort of masterfully written uh it is about the relationship that this kind of qualifies by is a sort of elderly husband and wife living in berlin during the nazi regime uh during the second world war the book was written in that period as well there's some i can't remember the exact specifics but broadly their son gets in serious trouble with the gestapo and i think it's imprisoned and the husband and wife starts a campaign of protest against the nazi regime and uh yeah start putting up posters and flyers being critical and the tension that is built about how they go about doing this very small kind of unassuming couple with no power in a world that is really you know clamping down on their existence in every way and the relationship and love that is built between them and then for their family and what they're doing is is really powerful really affecting um and yes seeing it after knowing the outcome of the circumstances that they were in it sort of adds extra poignancy to what they do and the decisions they make and how they choose to i don't know do something edifying with their circumstances it's really powerful i, I can't remember the specifics so much as the mood that it left me with and i would re- yeah i would recommend it to anyone they're um a really yeah a really powerfully drawn couple doing something beyond their own sort of internal existence really they're making their relationship mean something more than just themselves and that's a very powerful thing to read Mm. very good um and that's hans falander falander f-a-l-l-a-d-a uh yeah i have seen that novel crop up many times so i should really very good okay well for the last one george uh I'll give an honourable mention first to a more another contemporary novel, which would be 
Haruki Murakami's Norwegian Wood, Ooh, yeah. um, which is a great sort of, you know, if you're sort of, I don't know, young and the feeling of being lost and young and figuring it out and almost, you know, he kind of falls in love with two women in that book, uh, uh, Naoko and Midori. And uh, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a book about that feeling of first falling in love and the kind of confusion of it and not really being sure if it's reciprocated and then sort of finding someone else. And it's kind of just a, a lot of, like a lot of Murakami's novels, it's sort of about a lost young man who is trying to figure out his place in life and it's about it his university. It doesn't dip into the weird though, does it really? It's fairly straight back. Yeah, it's ve- it's a lot more straightforward. It's very nostalgic and it's like looking back at being in university in Japan in the sort of 60s. And yeah, it's it's just kind of be- a beautifully told, you know, it's, n- it's not all just a love story, but the love story is definitely in there and it's sort of, yeah, it's it's someone moving from being lost to something more solid. Uh, yeah, as they get old, as they mature, um, that's one, George. And then my final one, because let's just go to, you know, the speculative end of the field, and that's going to be do androids dream of electric sheep? Interesting. Uh, by Philip K. Dick, because you know, let's go let's go to sci-fi. If you if you can fall in love with a non-human, where uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is Philip K. Dick's sci-fi novel uh, turned into the film Blade Runner, but it's about a guy called Rick Deckard who is sent to sort of retire, kill these androids, and he ends up meeting the head of a corporation's daughter who turns out to be one of the androids, and uh, he kind of ends up... uh, falling for her, somewhat consummating the relationship, however one does that with an android. Um, and well, I guess... Insert, insert the floppy disk. <laughs> no? Come on. Um, and yeah, it, there, on, there's, there's kind of, as every great uh, sci-fi novel does, and particularly Philip K. Dick one, it raises all these questions as to, you know, if, if you can simulate human emotions, is that the same? Can a robot, can an artificial intelligence feel love or does it just mimic what love looks like and is it just deceiving you and so it kind of prompts all those questions about if love is something more than just these chemical feelings anyway and of course Rick Deckard loves his sheep because there's uh there's very few real animals in the future world they have and he has a great sad moment because he really loves this sheep they have (laughs) so we've covered all kinds of relationships here. That's wonderful. Um, um, if if I were to have a big finish, Steve, it's one that I think you would you would wholeheartedly agree with, although it is a bit of a sordid choice. Uh, it is, of course, Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita. Uh, oh, okay. It's one of the great. It's, it's obviously a deviant one, but one of the great relationships is the sort of illicit and bizarre and beautiful and sordid and illegal. A relationship between the two main characters of which one is an old man and one is a 12 or 13 year old girl um mm-hmm. but so incredibly well drawn by Nabokov that uh kind of gets away with it very well um yeah mucky but magnificent is the review of it and 
yeah, you uh, you end up rooting for this sordid character as as much as you can. I think it's uh, yeah, he's probably he's one of the greatest writers, the greatest writer of relationships in many ways, and this is probably his best piece of work. And the fact that he can get you on board and support the relationship that should not in any way be allowed to take place is testament to the quality of the writing. So I would say as an exercise in yeah, in fiction that goes to places that we wouldn't normally want fiction to go, it's 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 very, very well done indeed. Yeah, and and mixing the sordid and the sublime, like the the even the lyrical ways he describes, you know, emotions and love in that book. And it's also not pulling punches with its sort of sordid depravity. It's uh it's quite a feat and it is like it's always lauded on like these best ever novel lists, right? And it is just yeah, it's Nabokov's prose is just like pure poetry. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's uh yeah, that I mean that's a that's a killer list of novels there. Um I, if you if you want to stack this spring, um that'll definitely think, be kind of get people need to get warmed up, don't they, before they can get back out and amongst it. So you know, this yeah. will get the stoke the fires. Get the, em- get the embers burning. <laughs> um well um that's love guys mm-hmm. <laughs> um a lot of those have film adaptations uh yeah if you can't be if you can't be able to read a book books are a bit boring <laughs> aren't they if you want to just go straight to the film then the relationship's always the relationship's always deeper and more complicated in the books but the film will have some great music and some action scenes as well. Yeah, it's a, a pretty cast, so you know, <laughs> they'll do better than your imagination can. Yeah. Um, all right, well, thanks so much. If you've got any wonderful relationship books to recommend, email at shussy at gmail.com or you can message me on Instagram at Stephen H. Hussey. Slide into his DMs. Slide into those DMs with a big wedge of books. Um, and that is it from us for today well uh, George um, go and have some I don't know you're in New York go and have some uh, pastrami bagel or something on you, don't to, you don't need to tell me twice <laughs> um, I'll see you soon buddy cheers thank you bye <laughs>